Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast, where we let light shine out of darkness. With your host, Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist. Most of us learn how to read when we're around five or six years old. Read words, that is. So how old were you when you learned how to read images? What am I talking about? Images? When do you, how do you, how do you learn how to read images? Well, that's exactly what we're going to talk about in today's episode. Dina Alexander, founder and president of Educate and Empower Kids, emphasizes the need for us to begin teaching our children how to read the images that surround them. You see, we live in an image-based culture now, and our children, and really all of us for that matter, are surrounded with thousands of images on a regular basis that are constantly communicating messages to us. So how can we read what's in these images and what they're trying to tell us? How can we help our children become literate, not only with words, but especially with images and multimedia so they can better navigate this new image-based world they live in? So let's jump right in. Here's my interview with Dina Alexander. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast, Dina. Thanks so much for making time for us. Thanks for having me on. All right. Well, I've downloaded your books and I've read them and I just absolutely love, I'd seen your other stuff before around talking to kids about pornography, but today we're going to be talking about media literacy and cell phones. And I just love what you've done to make this message so accessible and easy to understand for kids. Thank you. Yeah. So we have, and a a lot of parents don't quite understand that this is a very related topic to talking about pornography, to talking about healthy sexuality is media literacy because Mm -hmm. we're bombarded by so many images. We're constantly surrounded by media. We're constantly using media. We are even now creating media on through social media and no one's taking the the opportunity to discuss this with their kids. They do it a little bit in the school system, but very little. And which is crazy since we are now living in an image-based culture. Right. Since we're now getting most of our information through images and video, but most of us don't know how to read images. We don't, we can't read it. We can't decipher the messages as quickly as we can through written text. Right. And that might, that might be different for kids as they grow up in an image-based culture. But I know for adults, for parents, we are not able to just quickly, quickly get to the underlying message. I mean, and most of the research is showing that kids aren't either getting that message, but it does become just super important to talk about. And I know that it is a very unfamiliar topic for parents. Um, they hear they've never heard that term. When we go around and speak, they've never heard of media literacy. And so it's now I'm kind of like, okay, we have got to get this to be a normal conversation that we have in our homes. Yeah, no, I love it. And we are, we're like the fish who discover water last, right? We were swimming in yeah. this and it's descended on us gradually over the years. I mean, you know, I'm a child of the eighties and, Media was three channels and a magazine and maybe some radio. That was about it. And um, and so now today, like you said, it's it's so pervasive. It's everywhere. And I love this. I have a my bachelor's degree from BYU is in uh, communication studies. And so we talked about media literacy in the early '90s when I was at school. And you know, again, the the options were limited in terms of what we would analyze, gatekeepers, messages, what does this mean, what are they trying to say, who's their audience, those kinds of things. And so I've had an interest in media literacy for a long time, but I am, as a parent, 
I have not done a great job of asking and identifying the questions that you outlined in your book that we're going to talk about. And so I am so glad that this resource is available to help parents navigate, like you said, the image-based culture. It's so different than just talking about who the editor at the newspaper is. Yeah, absolutely. And again, we are seeing this as a really great prevention tool Mm -hmm. to help parents talk to their kids because so that when they do see pornography, when they do see violent media, when they do see hyper-sexualized media, they can make um, decisions from a place of agency. Do you know what I mean? From from knowing the situation, from knowing about media, from knowing the motivation behind creators that they can make a better decision instead of just being totally like shocked or floored by what they're seeing and paralyzed. They're going to be able to break it down, to deconstruct what they're seeing. It's almost like there's two – there's two contexts we need to give our kids. There's the the body talk about sexuality and biology and human – you know that kind of stuff. But then there's this other part of the delivery system, which is what you're talking oh, about, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because I mean like – I mean most of us, you know, we, we may have had one or two sex talks from our parents, but we learned a lot about sex from television and movies, right? Yeah. And it's like – and now you got to multiply that by 10 for our kids. Totally. I mean we can't – you can't go or do anything without something – having to do with sex. You know, I remember a couple of years ago, I was at the gym and I saw that, that show, it was called the chew, right. Where they're cooking yeah. food. Mm-hmm. And I remember the host was like, you see this chocolate chip cookie? I'm going to make it sexy. And I just remember thinking really for real, <laughs> like we have to, even when it comes to our food, we have wow. to make our food sexy. Like this is where we're at. Nothing's good enough unless it's sexy. And I'm like, this is just pathetic, you know, that it's like everything is sexual, so nothing is special. And so, again, yes, we have to definitely talk about with our kids the mechanics, the intimacy of sex. And then we have to talk about the crazy messages that are everywhere. Right, right. Absolutely. And we can have literally have conversations every single day with our kids because there's so much content coming at us. Yep. Ask my poor children. They'll tell you. <laughs> You, yeah. Enough, mom. We That's awesome. Like, yep. Did you see that? Let's talk about that. Time for dinner. I'm not coming. I'm yeah. not, I can't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's not get too ahead of ourselves. I want. I don't want our audience to get lost on this. I wanna. I wanna break it down to the essentials here. Let's start with some definitions. Media okay. literacy. What in the world are we talking about with media literacy? What is it? So media literacy is the ability to read media, to read an image. We might even call it multimedia literacy, right? Okay. So like you said, I'm a child of the 80s too. And anytime that media literacy has been discussed, say since the 80s, it has been about a poem, a work of prose, a book. Let's deconstruct what's going on. What is the meaning that this author has, right? So now we've had to kind of kick that up a notch. And now it's about being able to read the motivation. You know, why was this made? Who made it? Who is their audience? You know, what is the underlying message? What is the overlying message? So being able to read images, and it's not just advertisements. I know that that's kind of like the first go-to. That's the first place that we know we're basically being manipulated, right? We can... We can open any magazine and we can see the fakeness and we can see where we're being manipulated, right? But it also applies to movies. It applies to music. What is this song really saying? What are the values it's portraying? What are the values it's leaving out? What is the lifestyle that is being portrayed here? What are the lifestyles that are being left out? And so it's about 
being critical and being able to look at media in a critical eye. And so that might sound overwhelming for a parent, but again, it's kind of like, you don't have to answer all those questions right in two minutes. It's kind of, it's, you can pick one or two questions that you're going to maybe ask yourself or maybe discuss with your kids to just start the ball rolling. You're passing by a billboard, you see something, wow, what are they selling there? You know, why do you think they have that ad? You know, why, why do we have so many ads having to do with plastic surgery, you know, or whatever, or why are there so many, you know, healthcare ads around, at least where I live. And so again, you can have simple, small discussions, but it's just about being able to break down and deconstruct the image. And again, like I said, this becomes a powerful tool because when they do come across violent media or pornographic media, they can then have a better chance of breaking that down and going, wait a second, that's fake. Or wait, that's not really how it is. Or, okay, that blood in that violent scene, that's not real. Okay, we don't really have, you know, chainsaw massacres, you know, whatever. And mm-hmm. so <laughs> you kind of, you have that ability and it's, it takes practice. You know, it's, this is not a one-time skill. This is something that I am continually developing. I mean, people do, you know, like they get a whole degree in, in media studies, you know, they can get, you can get a graduate degree in media studies. Right. So it's not something that we have to be perfect at. It's about starting those conversations. Right. And, I, and like we said earlier, it, it descended on us so gradually over the last 10, 20 years that all of a sudden you wake up one day and like you said, I mean, even just you saying we live in an image-based culture, you, you say that and I'm like, right, duh, like that's totally what it is. And so this is about helping our children become critical thinkers of all the content, whatever form it takes that's coming at them because they are being targeted. People are trying to communicate messages to them in a thousand different ways, and we have to have them understand what they're looking at, experiencing, hearing, seeing, and what they're surrounded with. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is how they are – this is what you know takes the power away from negative messages. You know, If we can deconstruct them and right. help our kids break them down, then they don't have the power over them. Yeah. But it also helps them seek out the best media – because there are great forms of media. There is great music out there. There is, you know, great books to read. So we, this is just, again, building a critical skill that they're going to need for the rest of their lives. I love it. Yes, absolutely. So I'm going to, I want to point, I want to promote this book big time because I think it's awesome. And it's written for what age, what age group? Um, I would say generally from about six to 11, but there are definitely things that real simple things that you can pull out for a younger child, but definitely you can use for older yeah. kids to adults. Because again, I mean, think of what, when you looked at it, I'm sure you were like me as I was writing it. Like, I don't do this for everything. I'm not, I'm not, or I'm really great at reading this type of media, but I do not pay attention yeah. enough to what's being said in the news or exactly. whatever, you know, like, like I've only in, since starting my organization and paying attention, have I really been able to get, become more critical of say social media and the message that I'm putting out there and the messages that other, that my friends and family are trying to sell to me, you know, right. because we are all trying to sell a message. Right, right now we're, and so again, yeah. Like, so, yeah, so this is something that again, we're going to keep working on, but any adult could, could get something out of this you know, I get something out of this book and go, Oh my goodness, I haven't asked myself that question in a long time. Or I really need to start asking that question when it comes to this type of media. 
Right on. Yeah, because like I, t- like I said, I have a degree in media studies, and I read this little children's book, and I thought, huh, hadn't thought of that. <laughs> it was great. And so the book we're talking about is called Petra's Power to See, and um, this is a children's book that is available on educatempowerkids.com. Right. Dot org. Dot org. Dot org. Thank you. Educateempowerkids.org. And you can download. I think it's five bucks. And it's yeah, it is it is cheaper to download on our website. It is available as an Amazon Kindle, but we do have it in three different digital formats on the website. And it is um it is a little bit cheaper on the yeah. website. Okay. I think every parent needs to own this book. I'm gonna spread the word, put a link to it in our show notes. Um what I love about this book is is really in the title the power to see that we're teaching our children that they have power when they can see that we have power when we can see and just name it out loud to describe it and talk about it and you give us so many ways to do that that I don't feel like are overwhelming as a parent okay I, I read that and thought I can do that and I I do this I mean I've been talking about this stuff with my kids since they were little but I was talking about it again from the way I understood it in terms of the news or uh, television or some of these places that where I was trained, but I love what you're saying that, well, now we're content creators. Now we have an obligation uh, when we're posting that we're sending messages. Now we're gatekeepers. Now we have to be ethical and careful about making sure our messaging isn't harmful to others or sending a message we don't intend. I mean, it's, we're consumers and producers now. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a different, it's a different world. And it was, and it's, again, I didn't realize it when I started out, you know, I started using Facebook maybe nine years ago and then, you know, you're posting whatever you want and your kids say something funny and you're posting it and here's this great trip we're on. Right. And then until it starts adding up, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. all those little comparison games and all that negativity that can form or the relentless, you know, amount of just garbage that people put out there. Oh, okay. Here's another cat video. Oh, okay. Here is some people fighting in the street and they're like beating each other up. Like, why are we posting these things? Right. And so there, you know, it becomes really important for us to be very deliberate, you know, and that is something that has helped me not just, I think, be a better creator of social media, but also to be a better consumer and to, to have to take in less of it and to just be very wise about what I post. Like, is my, is my information helpful? And this is so important to teach our kids, you know, am I help sharing helpful information? Am I complimenting other people when they need to, you know, that they need a compliment that maybe I'm not just liking a post, but that I'm saying something sincere to them and that I'm being real, you know, and that, if somebody is being bullied, am I going to stand up for them? You know, I'm sure you have noticed. I see just as much bullying, if not more, among adults than I do around among kids. Oh yeah, on on social media, and it's like we can't just be spectators to that. We can be there's there's kind, helpful ways to shut that down. And again, we need to be taking taking part in that. No, I love it. My wife and I were talking about this last night. In fact, uh, just about how in our neighborhood. You know, there's there were certain moms who were posting pictures of events they would go on and parties they were attending and things they were doing and and they would like either intentionally or unintentionally leave other women out or other families out mm-hmm. and how painful and hurtful that was that this was coming up and and not even realizing how how insensitive or how careful you have to be or how careful you have to be how sensitive you have to be about 
the messages you're sending, you think you're just posting pictures of a party, but it could be harmful and hurtful to other people who may have wanted to be included. I mean, it's just, we have to be so careful. Yeah. When we were kids, you know, we, we might have found out on Monday morning that we were not invited to a party that happened on Friday night. And it was kind of like, oh, well, we were able to get over it relatively quickly. But nowadays, our kids have like daily reminders for several days that they were not included in an activity. You know, you and I did not have right. to put up with that. No. We did not even have to process that. And now we're asking kids to, to deal with that. Right. You know? adults can, yeah, adults can barely handle it. And there's photographic evidence that lives on forever. And you can review it anytime you want to feel bad about yourself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. No, that's that's great. And um, I want to talk about – I mean you talked about the bridge between why media literacy matters in terms of pornography, and I, I, I want to go back to that for a second. You were saying it's critical for us to give our kids a context of understanding that the messages that are coming at them, somebody thought through those. Somebody – I mean where we might be thoughtless in posting a stupid Facebook post, these people that are corporations and that are trying to make money and are trying to influence and change – mindsets and such like they are very deliberate in their messaging and so and pornography is just another one of those messages and so what you're saying is as we teach our children and ourselves how to be critical thinkers of content media everything around us that's coming at us it actually is protective when they see something pornographic yeah absolutely and you know like these are conversations that i had with my kids before they were ever exposed to pornography. I knew as they were getting older when I first started this, I knew they were going to be exposed to pornography. My daughter was just starting middle school, and then my two boys were in elementary. And now that my daughter is now going to be a senior and my son is going to be a sophomore, they've seen stuff at school. They've come across things by accident. They had, you know, my son even had a classmate show him um, a sext message that his girlfriend had sent him, you know, right in the middle of class, right? So they've seen these things. So before that even happened, I wanted to make sure I had these conversations. When I was able to understand the meaning behind pornography, when I was able to understand that misogyny and that level of hatred towards women, I was able to communicate that to my kids before they ever saw it so that they could, again, could have a context for seeing it. And I'm not saying this is some sort of cure-all that like, okay, if you explain this, then they're never going to seek it out. And it's like, but there again, it's about creating that agency. I'm trying to create a place where that they can make an objective decision and not just be bombarded by this sexual imagery um, that is, you know, can be to me violent towards women, but that it's that they can have a better understanding of it. So I've explained things. I'm like, you know, when I, before they ever saw anything, I explained how women were never women in pornography. They were always girls or a slut or a whore or something worse, and that that was very deliberate, that that was meant to make us not so that we could look at this as a woman who, as a girl who deserved this, who wanted this behavior, this maybe this body punishing behavior, this, this sexual act that was being maybe forced on her or pushed on her in some way that I wanted my kids to understand like that this is not what real intimacy is like and that this is not how we treat other human beings and that the reason why these pornographers were creating this in such a way was so that they, so that we didn't have to feel bad. We could disassociate ourselves from this person so that we don't think of it as like, this is my sister, this is my mother, this is my girlfriend, just as, you know, Hitler never called, they never called, the Nazis never called Jewish people Jews, right? Or people, they referred to them as animals. So they didn't have to feel bad about what they were doing, right? They made them 
to be subhuman. And that is the same deliberate work that is being done in pornography. I mean, there's many other things that I discussed with my kids, but this is one of, that's one of the messages that I wanted them to understand that this is not just playful, fun, kinky sex, that this is a real message, that there's a reason why a woman is usually in a position of powerlessness or why there's usually more than one man, not usually, but often I've seen more than one man and one woman to put her in a position of lesser power and that that is not realistic, but that is not how sex is meant to be had. Right, right. And this even, I mean, you're t- you, you had these conversations preventatively with your kids, but I'm also, mm-hmm. as, I'm, as I'm listening to you talk about this, I'm thinking about all of the parents who have kids and teenagers and maybe even young adults who have uh, consumed pornography and could probably use a debriefing or some deprogramming and really oh, helping absolutely. them, right? I mean, you could have these same conversations and be able to say, so what you saw was this, or tell me what you saw, and let's deconstruct that. And parents need to be able to have the courage to dive into this and really re- reset the message and tell yeah. truth to their kids, right? Because I remember when my daughter, again, was in, after she had been in middle school for a couple years and had seen something on a school computer because it was a private school and I don't know what the, the filtering was like at that time. We had just moved there and she had seen something and she had said to me like, well, not all pornography is violent. And I said, that is a great discussion. I said, let's talk about what violence really is. And so we had this great discussion at the dinner table that night of, well, how, what is name calling? What does it mean when like the man has his hands on the woman in a way that is not a loving caress, you know? And again, so it was a great, and I could see this light go on in right. my daughter's head. Like, oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. This is because again, like, it's kind of like what Gail Dines has said that when we combine sex with violence, the violence disappears. We cannot, we're not as able to see it. Maybe it's our biology. I don't know, but we, we get so involved in the sexual piece of it that we ignore the violence that's going on. Right. You know, that we are just like, oh, she must want it. Oh, she must like it. Oh, you know, she's, she's, she's screaming yes, so this must all be wonderful. But, then you're, but if, you, if you take that step back and look at it, then you can go, whoa, hold on. <laughs> that, you know, his, his, his hands on her are in such a way that's a vice-like grip that's not – that's not done for fun. Okay. So again, like these things that as parents, we can deconstruct for our kids or for our peers to help them understand. There's been different times when I've spoken at um, different engagements and I've said these kinds of things and you do, you see the light go on in all these different people's heads that they've seen pornography and they're like, Oh, Oh yeah, you're right. And it's pretty hard to deny what I'm saying. If you are looking at, if you look at it in a critical eye, yeah, and I think it's important just to insert this uh, for our, our listeners that you may be listening to Dina talk about this or us talking about this and thinking, well, that's not the kind of pornography my kid has seen. And I would just say, <laughs> not true, right? You might be thinking yeah. about maybe the old discarded Playboy you saw in 1983 that um, you know was just static and, and you, know, she, you maybe, maybe saw you know, part of her body or something like that. If a kid types in pornography in Google today, they are going to get violent, hardcore, what what Gail Dines calls gonzo porn. It's it's a type of pornography that is so outrageous and so it should be I, it's illegal. It's just very violent and degrading, and it's a different type of pornography than. Thank, hopefully, you'll never have to see. But here's the thing: 
these the type of pornography that's available today has a lot of messages that have to be deconstructed and challenged with our kids. And if if you are just thinking of pornography as kind of this soft core playboy type pornography that's just sort of that that kind of pornography is like mainstream television now, right? Yeah, that's rated R. That's rated right. R that's R just stuff. rated R stuff now. That's you know TV mature or whatever that you see on Netflix or whatever. Like that yeah. is that is like what's kind of mainstream now. What used to be considered like hardcore back in the day, thirty years ago. Today's pornography is a way different animal, and that is if your kids are searching or have been exposed to pornography or looked at it it's likely that's what they're seeing. And so we have to have conversations that are courageous and that we're willing to get educated and understand what the real messages are. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted an amen on that from you, Dina. That's all. So. <laughs> amen. <laughs> all right. So I want to go into this next part. Um, and I mostly just shared that because I think that hearing you talk about it, I was in my mind's eye just kind of thinking like, there are probably some listeners that are hearing that going like, Whoa, yeah. like, whoa, that's a little too intense there, Dina. And I'm thinking, yeah, cause, and except that, and that that's, it's not. That's, that's the nature. I mean, and that's that's why some people love what I have to say and some people don't because I am very real. You know, yeah. and some people some people can handle it and some people are like, oh, no, not my child. And I'm like, okay, yeah. when you're ready to hear the truth, please come back and see me. Right. <laughs> well, and I, I want our listeners to hear the truth. I, I don't want to protect anyone from the realities out there because if we're going to have these hard conversations with our kids – it's not that we need to go out and look at any of it or see it. We just need to be able to help them understand and make sense of the messages they're getting. And, uh, and I think that your, your resources definitely do that. So, You can purchase a copy of Dina's books, including the one we discussed today, Petra's Power to See, at educateempowerkids.org. And go to their product section and you'll find that book and a lot of other great books there. I'll also put the website link in the show notes. These books are available for instant download and they're a fantastic resource for children and adults. I certainly learned a lot from reading them. So check back for the next episode where I continue my interview with Dina Alexander on the Illuminate podcast.